Well, First Thessalonians, we uh, have started into this book verse by verse, and we have realized it's in Paul's second missionary journey when he took Silas and Timothy and Luke, and they went across uh, over into to Greece. And uh, Paul was only there three, maybe four weeks at the most, only three Sabbath days, and tremendous persecution happened. You can read about it in Acts 17 and Acts 18. But eventually they had to pack up and they had to leave. So thus far at this letter, Paul has been talking to them first about the grace and the peace of God. And then he reminded them of how he's praying for them day and night, even though they were brand new Christians. And even though they've only known Christianity in persecution. You know, that's something that we in America can really know about. We can't really wrap our minds around it experientially. But I know as a little boy growing up, missionaries would come and I'd read stories about Christianity behind the bamboo curtain or Christianity behind the iron curtain and, and how people would come to Christ just powerfully. They went from being hardcore atheistic communists in China to being born again radically. But immediately, a lot of these brand new Christians were thrown into prison and they were beaten and their families were ostracized and nobody could help them. And, and how the families, only being a few days in the Lord, had to trust the Lord for their daily food with their families or they would die of starvation. And, and all of the great stories and the same behind the Iron Curtain. We've come to Christ and we go down to the waters of baptism in a public place. I mean, today, unfortunately, people snare at that. It, it, we're in a very post-Christian era. But most of our lives, people that were not Christians seeing us baptized in the ocean or in a lake, or they, they, they rejoiced along with us. They didn't look at it negatively. If you were a Christian businessman, boy, they trusted you more. They, they wanted to give you their business. That was a good thing. Today, if you're a Christian, uh, especially in the business world, uh, it can be very much against you. We're heading into that time. But Paul says the key thing about your persecution was the joy was greater. There was overwhelming joy in the midst of that. So we looked the last time at their labor of love, their work of faith, their patience and hope. And in verse 4 and 5, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And then picking up in verse 6 through 10 today. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord was sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait uh, for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from wrath to come. Well, let's break that down in verse 6. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says it again. And this verse, there's three aspects. First of all, they immediately 
became followers of God and through Paul and, and the apostles and the other guys with him in their example. Wow. So Paul would go throughout all of Macedonia and Achaia and, and people would tell them about the church in Thessalonica. And of course, Paul was there. He started it. But yet they were telling him things that he didn't know about this church. Wherever he went, they were saying, did you hear what God did in Thessalonica? Paul's like, no, tell me. He said, I, I, don't, I didn't need to go and say, hey, we also started a church in Thessalonica before we came here. Everybody already knows. And then he, he says, it's, it's been a witness how you guys are following our example. You know, in the book of Acts, when people were first called Christians, it was to mock them. Did you see Peter? He trying to look just like Jesus. Did you see that little smirk on his face? That's the same smirk that Jesus used to have. Did you see that Paul, that, that laugh that Peter had, or James had? That's the same way Jesus used to laugh. They're just trying to mimic Jesus. They're little mimickers of Christ. It was supposed to be a put down. But the Christians are going, wow, I like that. <laughs> You're calling me a little Christ? You're telling me a little, uh, you, you can't see the difference in how Christ behaved and the way I behaved? Thank you. Well, we were trying to put you down. We were trying to make you feel bad about yourself. Like a, like a, you're a phony or you're, you're just a little copycat. And he's saying, yeah, that's exactly what we are. And, and so these guys maybe quoted some of Paul's favorite verses. <laughs> or maybe they were playing a song that Timothy taught them. But when they went, when they were around the Christians they met from Thessalonica, it was like meeting Paul. It was like meeting Timothy, it was like meeting Silas. It's like, you guys are chips off the old block. And of course, Paul says, really, you didn't follow us. You are following the Lord through us. Paul's not ashamed to say that. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. In the book of Philippians 3, 17, brethren, join in following my example. Note those who so walk, and you have us as a pattern. They could, they could see his life and were invited to learn from his example. Now, often when people read this, follow me as I follow Christ, it sounds like Paul is saying, I am perfect and Christ is perfect and I'm a perfect example. Well, we know in Philippians that Paul made it clear that he was not perfect. So he's not saying I am perfect as an example, who is? Nobody is. We all fall short of the glory of God daily. But what was Paul saying? The genuineness, the sincerity, the realness to want to obey God. I've had young Christians come. One case in particular, I remember he had been a Christian a few weeks and he came back and he's just like ready to give up on Christianity because he had just really 
said some stuff at home, gotten angry and said some stuff to his wife and his kids he shouldn't have. And they haven't become Christians, only he had. And, and then at work, he got angry there and cussed at some guys. And, and they're all going, oh, what a wonderful Christian you are. You know, they actually said that to him. And, and he's like, I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm such a failure. And I'm like, no, not, not at all. You're You're human. Christ didn't come and save the top 10% of human beings. He came and scraped the bottom. Look at your calling, brother. Not many honorable, not many noble. But God chose the weak things. No, what, what is your example? Your example is to go to them and say, that's not the way I've learned Christ. And I'm trying to live for Christ, but I'm going to fail all the time. But here's the great thing. The Bible says, that when I sin, God's grace abounds more. The Bible says when I sin, I can pray, and God will not only forgive me of that sin I'm knowledgeable of, but he'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness that I didn't even notice I was doing. And so I'm coming to you not as some perfect Christian. I'm coming to you as somebody who has giant hope in the salvation of Christ, even though I'm a struggling sinner. So you, do you think Paul got mad at somebody uh, while he was there? Probably. Do you think Timothy said something he probably shouldn't have said? Uh, probably. But that wasn't saying we were perfect when we were with you. So therefore, you guys need to follow our example to be perfect also. I've actually had people come and say, I can't go to your church anymore because I can't sing in tune. And every single person in your church sings like an angel. And I'm like, it's funny that's the way you think. But no, trust me, go sit by this guy or this guy. You'll know that. <laughs> but you know what is cool? It's when you do sing in a congregation, one person's a little flat, the other person's sharp. But yet congregationally, they put each other in tune. That's why a choir sounds so good. Not because everybody's perfectly in pitch, but because when you look at the congregation of the choir they balance each other out and together they're perfectly in her in tune so again follow us doesn't mean to be perfect following jesus example i you know as i've read through the whole bible I, it really comes down if, if if jesus were to say okay jesus you can only answer this in one question <laughs> what's the most important part of your example that we need to follow. I mean, if we, if we mess up on some other areas, what's one area we really shouldn't mess up on? To show the world your example. Well, I think Jesus said it in Matthew 9 and in Matthew 12, where he said to the Pharisees who were condemning the sinners around Jesus, eating with them and, and touching them and letting them touch him and and they, they came condemning them like, oh, you've got such a great congregation here, Jesus. They're a bunch of horrible people. And Jesus turned to these Pharisees and said, go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Later, they came back doing the same thing. And Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 7 says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned 
the guiltless. We know Jesus says, don't condemn. So you are not condemned. The same measure you show mercy is the same measure I'll show you mercy. So I think it says best in Ephesians 4, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then going on in Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as dear children by walking in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I think that we can do that to those who have received freely, Jesus says, freely give. We have freely received the kindness, the forgiveness, the mercy of Jesus daily, right? His mercies are new every morning. The righteous man falls seven times, gets up seven times, because he's looking at the face of Jesus, saying, where your sin abounds, my grace abounds more. So we can be an example in loving the world. So again, we don't have to approve of the sin of the world, but we can love the sinner in the world, right? And this is where the difference is. I've seen this with the LGBT churches. I don't know if you know, but the United Methodist Church is having a big split over this. The Lutheran Church has already had a big split over this. The Episcopal Church. And so you have churches where they literally are, are out and out, have the, the, the flag, and, and they're celebrating being transgendered or whatever. This is going on, guys, and it's growing. And they're saying, hey, we're just being kind and merciful. And it's like, no. I mean, it's just like the twisted politicians in California who think letting a guy look like a zombie on the streets living in a tent is, is being kind to him. You're not being kind to that person. You're, you're being, you're torturous. The laws are torturing them. There's, there's laws, no loitering. There's laws that no public intoxication. If we enforce those laws and put them in jail and they have to get off of the drugs, that would be being kind. So in the same way, to say live and let live, if you know Jesus loves a homosexual as much as the heterosexual, and so live however you want and, and God doesn't care, that, that would not be in truth, Right? Jesus, Jesus made it clear that when Jesus appeared, he appeared in the image of the Father, full of grace and, right? We can't handle the truth till we hear the grace. We need to first hear God loves us. He's paid for our sins. He will forgive us. But then the truth is, his love didn't save us. Jesus' love did not save us. Jesus loved us before he ever came into human flesh but we weren't saved. It was him coming into human flesh and him dying on a hideous, torturous cross and dying. The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. Jesus should have been able to hang on that cross for eternity, but he died. Why? Because your sins put him to death. It wasn't his sin. Your sins literally did, in a real way, 
come upon him and your sins put him to death. So it was a very torturous death in which would be a sufficient punishment of your sins that we are saved. Now he did that out of love, but it wasn't love. It was his body that was broken for us that saved us. That's the truth. And so in the same way, we want love, but we, we cannot approve of that sin and we're not doing favor by leaving them, so to speak, on the, tree, on the street and they're addicted or they're, they're, they're mental capacity thinking that we're helping them by being merciful, leaving them alone to, to live like that in the same way, in any immoral way, we need to speak the truth in love. Amen? So again, he says, the second thing here is you've received the word in much affliction. So first of all, he, he says, you became followers of us and of Christ in this verse. And then he says, and you've received the word in much affliction. That's not the case for everybody. But remember back in Acts chapter 17, uh, evil men showed up, a mob came out and, and they started the uproar and, and, and they were going to kill him. And they said, Paul, God, you guys got to get out of here. And they snuck him out before they were to be killed. And I love one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts is Acts 17, 6, where it said, where are those guys that turned our world upside down? <laughs> I love the commentators. They say Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Silas and Timothy did not turn the world upside down. They turned it right side up. And the demons were mad about it. Right? Here's the guys that turned the right. That's what we as Christians are standing for, is to turn the, keep the world up the right way. Well, and then the third thing was the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we think of Galatians 5, it says the fruit, singular, which is love. So the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. What's the very first quality of that love? Joy. Isn't that, isn't that something? When a person gets born again, that's usually the first thing you see is joy. And Paul is saying, you're being persecuted, but full of joy. We remember way back in the beginning of Acts when the apostles got beaten for preaching Christ. You remember what they did? They went out rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for his name's sake. And then I think of the Antioch of Persidia. Not, there's several different Antiochs in the book of Acts. But when Paul was there, the same thing, the men raised up against horrible persecution uh, against the church. And it says the disciples in the midst of that persecution were full of joy and full of the Holy Spirit. And of course, in Acts 16, when Paul first got to Europe, there into Philippi, Remember, they were beaten and put into prison. And what happened to Paul and, and Silas when they were down in that prison? They started praising the Lord. And the earth shook and all the doors of the prison opened up. And it was a great time. So joy and persecution. So I, I've heard people say that. Brian, don't talk about we as Americans might get persecuted. That just really stresses me out. 
You know what, guys? It's untrue. We've never had that grace because we haven't needed it. But when they start speaking against you evilly, Jesus said they're going to do that. They're going to throw you in prison, really, because you're a Christian, but they'll say it because of what they found on your computer. Or they'll say it's because you're stealing money, didn't pay your taxes. They're going to they're come up with something to try to slurry your reputation. But we know <laughs> they're just trying to shut us up. Boy, I don't know if you know what's going on in the UK right now, but they have shut down the bank accounts of every conservative and Christian voice. Yeah, yeah. It's, they're coming out, and, and uh, even, even some major people in the politics, credit card doesn't work, bank won't talk to them. So they go to other banks, nobody will open an account for them. So right now, they can't make their house payment, they can't make their car payment, they can't buy food, they can't travel, they're afraid to ask their friends because they're afraid their bank accounts won't work. This is happening right now, just like it did with, in Canada with the truck drivers shutting all their accounts down. Many of those people, businesses went out of. So it's already happening. What the Bible said, eventually, if you don't take the mark of the beast, then that'll happen to you for sure to all of us. But the system's already set up. And it was Will, it was Will uh, Nigel Farage. You guys know who he is? That's him. His has been shut down. Nobody will talk to him. He's a wealthy guy. He's hired his lawyers to, to, to try to figure out. But others have come on and said the same thing. It's crazy. When that persecution comes, guys, and we can't travel or our stomachs are hungry or maybe we're in prison and it's damp and dark and uncomfortable and there's going to be a joy that we've never experienced before. We're going to praise God that we were worthy to suffer for his name's sake. But what's that old saying about if, if Christians were being arrested for being Christians, would they throw you in jail? <laughs> you see, the fear is not the Christians getting arrested. The fear is many calling themselves Christians don't live a Christian enough life outside the church to even get arrested. So the fear is not getting arrested. The fear would be that my testimony is not effective enough in the world that I would get arrested. Right? That should be our fear. But they had a joy. We see it repeatedly that Paul's saying, you guys know about the joy of being persecuted for Christ. Well, going down to verse 7, I have several questions for you there on this. What about us today? But I'm going to skip on down to verse 7. So that you became examples in all of Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So he says basically the same similar thing, that you guys became examples specifically, specifically of how a persecuted Christian looks. So we were thinking, man, they were examples of preaching the gospel. They were examples of living a holy life. And they were, we're going to find that out. But really, the thing that Macedonia and Achaia and the rest of the world was enthralled about was Paul's example 
of rejoicing and persecution and that they had the same joy of the Holy Spirit. I can remember right after the Iron Curtain fell, I mean within weeks, we were in to the Soviet bloc. And there were some, very few, going to church. But we would go out on the streets and preach the gospel. And people by the hundreds would come around us. And, and they were raised under the Soviet Union atheistic mindset. But they would come and we would ask them going, well, do you know why the date is the date right now? They're going, yeah, because Jesus Christ. They knew. They knew the history. I said, boy, you, you put that on the streets of America, nobody knows why our dating system is set up. And then um, we would, they would ask us, they would say, look, we know lying and stealing and rape and murder is wrong. Why? Why is it wrong? We know it's wrong, but why is it wrong? Think about that. <laughs> Without Christianity, you could say, well, civilly, the society won't function or whatever. But they know morally, ethically. But they're just, they're just a, from the goo, you know? Just a, a happen chance of evolution. There is no God. There is no creator. But it doesn't explain, if I just evolved to be here, why do I have this moral conscience? And you have the same thing. I, you say pink elephant. I understand pink elephant. And you say lion. I understand lion. Why? And we just tell them, because God made you. And we all have that stamp of God's image on us. And then we would preach the gospel. And I am telling you, you it's an experience that, that I cannot explain how full of joy these young kids, a lot of them just their burdens fell off and they believed and they're like, what do we do now? And we would just start teaching them Bible studies right on the spot. Hey, everybody in the park in a half an hour, and we would teach them Bible studies for an hour, sing them some songs. They're like, okay, let's do it again. <laughs> and we would just back-to-back -back Bible studies, back-to-back -back until midnight. And tomorrow, they wanted the same thing. And the next day, seven days a week, every day, and more and more people came. It was amazing. And so again here, as Christians, their joy is what was known. Not their joy because they're getting rich now that they're honest businessmen. It's their joy over they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. As Christians, we always need others who will show us how to follow Jesus Christ beyond the need of just hearing about how to follow him. And the bottom line is we all need to be that example for somebody else. Well, verse 8. For from you, the word of the Lord was sounded forth, literally trumpeted, not only to the Macedonians, Achaia mentions them again, but also in every place. Remember, Thessalonica was a, a port city of Rome, and it was thousands of people went through there regularly all over the world. And he goes on in verse 8 to say, your faith towards God has gone out so that they do not need us to say anything. They know all about you. We don't have to tell them about you. So Paul said, the proof's in the pudding. We don't have to 
Tell people you're Christians. They know you're Christians by the joy. They know you're Christians by the fact that you're telling them you're a Christian and you're telling others how to be a Christian. I, I love it when I'm in places and, and some young teenager will hand me a track and start trying to witness to me. I'm just there and my heart's just rejoicing. And I'm like, yeah, tell me again now, how do I, how do I become a Christian? And then just to tell them, yes, just heals my soul when others share the gospel. It's such a beautiful thing. What about us today? Do, do we share the gospel? People might hate us. Then we can rejoice in that. Well, they might arrest us. They may today. I mean, you can go out on the streets and burn building down to the BLM. But if you go out and try to help people get off the streets by sharing them with the Lord, that might be a crime. Our world is upside down. Do, do churches today need to be evangelistic churches? You understand a church is nothing. <laughs> the church is, is, is a thought. It's an organization. It's a building. If you say the church needs to be evangelistic, you're saying, I need to be evangelistic, right? It's not about our church. Our, our church over there is not going to witness to anybody. It's you. And, and, and if you go out and just purpose in your heart this week, I'm going to tell one person about Christ. I'm going to go get gas, even though I don't need gas. I'm just going to put the thing there and wait till somebody pulls up and hand them a track and leave if that's all the guts you have. Or just tell them Jesus loves you and put the track on their front window show and then run away. I, I don't know what your faith is, but you know what you'll find? Years ago, I was at a gas station and, and I passed out a track to every person at that gas station. And years later, I get a call and, and this lady begins to to ask me questions like, hey, does the pastor look like, does the guy look like this? She was trying to describe me. And I said, yeah, that's me. She goes, do you remember handing out a track at this particular gas station? And I'm like, yeah, I actually, I actually do. I mean, like seven years ago? She goes, yeah, I was, I was prostituting at that gas station. And you were so kind and you gave it to me. And I, and I just said, I'm going to keep that. She kept it in the bottom of her purse for seven years. And then she read it and she came to Christ. And I just remember, man, the word of God goes out. It never returns void. Maybe a smile. It may be a track. It may be come to Christ. It may be a verse that God shared with you. But we need to trumpet forth. We need to be an example of trumpeting forth. It's not about me giving people opportunity on Sunday morning to come to Christ. Although I'm gonna, I need to do that regularly. But it's all of us not being afraid. In Romans 10, he makes it clear, doesn't he? How shall anybody believe unless they hear? It's just a very human, earthly fact. As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good tidings of good things. Do you know how God looks at you when you tell somebody, hey, I just read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 this morning. And this is what it said. Can I quote that verse to you? 
guy at the gas stump is going to probably go, I'm going to persecute you. Go, okay, good. I have joy of persecution. No. Um, he'll probably say, yeah, go ahead. But I don't ask. I just said, hey, I want to share a verse with you this morning. Don't ask. And then share it. And God's looking down. He's looking at the three wise men in their travels coming towards Bethlehem and then to give Mary and Joseph and Jesus the gifts. How beautiful was it to see those three magi traveling, following the star. How beautiful on the mountains. I think of Austria. (laughs) The hills are alive. But how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who go purposefully in their hearts to share the gospel. You got to realize it rejoices the heart of God. Maybe that's enough motivation for you. So that faith comes by hearing, he said, and hearing by the word of God. How does somebody come to Christ? They got to hear the word of God. We'll finish it up in verse 9 and 10 this morning. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had towards you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And again, there's three aspects here. First of all, they turned from their idols. The word turned here is actually to be converted. So it wasn't they turned from their idols. They they were converted away from the idols. In other words, when they got Jesus, then they realized (laughs) this idol is just a hunk of metal. There is no God, Diana. There is no... But it was first they were converted. Do you understand? So often I, I think that the church, especially in the holiest, holiness movement after 1906, Azusa revival, they went out preaching against everything. If you go to movies, if you go to the dance halls, if you drink alcohol, you turn, quit drinking alcohol and turn to Christ. That was the message. That's not what this is saying here. The opposite. I, I used to have a, a friend from back east and, and he lived in the Amish community, and, and they used to make this fudge. And he remembers it as a kid, but he's never been able to eat fudge since then. But he used to always say that when I came to Christ, it was the same way as that fudge. When you've had the sweetest of the sweet, you cannot eat anything else. And when they got the sweetness of Jesus, their idol now really is and that is not. remember psalms 115 verse 5 through 8 they have but they do not speak they have eyes but they do not see they have ears but they do not hear noses they have but they do not smell uh, he's not talking about older people here although that applies um, <laughs> but he's talking about idols Verse 7, they have hands, but they do not handle. Feet that they have, they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. It's a dead thing. So when they, it says there, first of all, when they were converted, they, they willingly left their idols. Now, is it important for them to leave their idols? It was. But is a person saved? 
Because they leave their idols. You see, I, I grew up where guys would say, I quit drinking, I quit smoking, I quit chewing, I quit cussing. So now I come to church every Sunday, I'm a Christian. Does that make a Christian because you stop all those things? No, a Christian is somebody who loves Jesus and wants Jesus and is following Jesus. And when that happens, yes, these things of the world that are stumbling us or hindering us, we start letting go of the sins and the weights that we can run in following Jesus. Secondly, they serve the living and true God. This word for serve, it would not be found in the secular Greek writings. The only place you'll find this Greek word is in the Bible because it literally means slave, to become a servant of. And Paul here, if you would, the readers, the Greek readers of that day would have been, it would have been brash to them. You left your idols and you became a slave, the worst, bottom, lowliest slave of God. Now, in Christianity, Paul was fine with that. He, every, almost every letter, he calls himself a bond slave, right? In the Hebrew, that's where a man chooses to be a slave for life. He's not, forcing, he's not being forced to be a slave for life. He chooses it. And he's saying, that's what happened. So it was brash. You, when you came to Christ, you dumped all the idols, which probably meant you lost your family, Right? It's not going to be fun to go home to the holidays when they're all worshiping these false gods and you're a Christian now. So that was brash. And then on top of that, it's brash because you became servants, not just a go to church on Sunday Christian, but you became every day the slave of Christ. So note again how this happened. First, they turned to God. Then automatically, they turned away from their idols. Jesus made it clear, no one can serve God and their idols. In Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. So hate the one, love the other, cling to the one, despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. And so a true conversion happens when brash things happen. <laughs> they turn from their sinful ways and they turn unto God. In the same way with us today, did you know Christians can commit idolatry? In Colossians 3, 5, Paul says to the Colossians, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and what? Covetousness, which is idolatry. In Ephesians 5, 5, and this you know that no fornicator or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. How is Paul saying this? You can't, have two, you can't have two masters. You can't have divided loyalties. John, the apostle John in 1 John 2, he says it this way in verse 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's an idol. The lust of the eyes, another idol. The pride of life, another idol. Are not of the Father, but are of the world. And the world's passing away, the less thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Here's what's interesting about 1 John. Is very much randomly, the very last verse of 1 John 
is just a few words in 1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourself from idols. <laughs> if you read 1 John, you didn't see that coming. But the final word in this final letter that John would write was, dear children, Christians, don't end back up in idolatry. Don't let the love of the world replace the love of the Father. Don't let the lust of this world replace a holy, pure walk in Jesus. Don't let the pride of this world, I, I mean, it just blows my mind that anybody, especially in America, would spend a whole month flipping God off, calling it a pride month. I, it, it's like, I, I can't believe that we haven't already been destroyed. And now they're wanting to make a pride summer. <laughs> pride, the arrogance. God, man isn't just man and woman. It's as many genders as we say it is. F you. We're going to pridefully parade and run around naked in front of all these kids. And, and there you go, God, whether they know it or not. Now, a lot of them are out there from the Episcopal Church, from the Lutheran and United Methodist Church, in the parade with them, who are pastors on Sunday morning and will preach that this is the gospel, where you know, God is inclusive to all of, all of these sexual ways. No, God made sex. He said, there's one way it works in marriage. Man and a wife, period. Anything outside of that is sin. He makes it clear. But yet, in pride, standing before God, it breaks my heart. I'm not angry at them. I'm not an enemy to them. But let us not sin by being faithful to pray for salvation, for such dark and lost people. The third thing he says here, waiting for the sun from heaven. He's referring here to the second coming or the rapture of the church. He's going to talk about this later in chapter five. But Paul says this is a clear sign of true Christians. You're in expectation of the rapture of the church. I know I, I live in that every day. Every day I see stuff on the news or my own heart is stirred to going, Jesus could come back today. Brian, how's your day being lived? Are you ready for Jesus to come back at noon today? <laughs> Are you ready for Jesus to come back in the middle of the night while you're sleeping? That's a, that's a question that I think we all need to have. And of course, I'm excited and I'm inquisitive. <laughs> I want to be counted worthy. I don't want to shrink away in shame. But Paul says in Philippians 3.20, that our citizenship is heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. In Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.12, looking for the and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. In Hebrews 9.28, so Christ has offered once to bear the sins of many to those who are eagerly wait for him he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation and second timothy 4 8 
Now there, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but who else is going to get that crown? All those who have longed for his appearing. And then, of course, in 1 John 3, he says, I don't know what we're going to be like when Jesus appears, but I know we'll be just like him. And then he says in 1 John 3, 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The church worth imitating is one who has a passionate desire for the Lord's return. And of course, that's termed the wrath to come. First of all, it is referring to the judgment day. In Romans 5, 8, and 9, for God demonstrates his own love towards us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And then in verse 10 and 11, so one is through the death of the cross of Christ that we won't see wrath. And then it's also because of the life of Christ that we won't see wrath. In Romans 5, 10 and 11, for if we were enemies, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Why will we not be judged and condemned for eternity? Because of our perfect lifestyle? <laughs> because of our heart being so pure? No. It's because Jesus bore our sins on the cross and then because he rose again. Why we were enemies, why we were sinners, why we were weak, Christ still loved us and died for us, even though if we were on earth at that time, we would have been shouting, crucify him, crucify him as well. But he still loved us and died for us. Later, we'll talk about this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about the tribulation period and that. So as we finish up here today, we remember that this is a very young church of believers. Yet, Paul had a lot of complimentary things to say about how mature and solid of Christians they were, even though they had only had Christians a short time. I think persecution makes you mature really quick. And I think a lack of persecution can make us flabby as Christians. They were an example and can happen that people can, when people give themselves totally to Christ, they become examples that people talk about. The church is seeking to imitate Jesus and his apostles in the word, by trumpeting the gospel through the world by being motivated daily by the return of Christ. Finally, all of us who believe take note that Jesus is coming and will deliver us from the wrath which is to come. So guys, we're like Lot. Our righteous souls are vexed every day uh, amongst the parades of perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah. But yet, we're going to be delivered very soon. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you right now for your word. We thank you for, well, just like you said, your word is a two-edged sword and it cuts. <laughs> it pierces right through the soul and the intent, the, the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so often when we look at your word and it cuts us, it's only to bring healing to us. 
So Lord, we don't want to say those who are marching in the pride parade need to repent. Lord, what about our idolatry? We're not flagrantly wanting to be immoral in that way, but yet at the same time, in that secret place in our hearts is the love of the world, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust, the pride of this life, equally idolatrous in your eyes. You said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Yes, our wicked ways may not be as wicked as the worst sinners out in the world, but they're still not holy and righteous before you where the joy of the Lord and the love of the Father can blossom and we trumpet forth the gospel because we're clear before you and our hearts are clear and full of joy. If you're here this morning and you've never come to Christ or maybe you, in the past you gave your life to Christ but you haven't walked with him for some time, right now, just cry out in your heart, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I receive your forgiveness as a gift because I can't earn it. It can't be of my works or of myself. I'll never be good enough. But it's as a gift. I receive that gift. And I know that you couldn't even give me this gift unless you paid the price for it bearing all my sins on the cross and a torturous, horrible death. And then you rose again, conquering my sin, conquering my punishment, conquering my ticket to hell. You paid it in full that I can now be right with you on this earth, even though I struggle and stumble in many ways, and know that for sure I'll be with you in heaven in a righteousness just as you were righteous, I receive you. Be the Lord of my life. There may be some of you today as I've preached to cut. Oh, you're stepping on my toes. You're talking about my idolatry. You're talking about me. I don't trumpet forth the gospel. Yes, I want the pastor to be evangelistic, but without me having to be evangelistic. <laughs> I want to pray in church as long as I don't have to go to the prayer meeting. I want a church that's of the word, as long as I don't read the word all week and only have to read it at church. And God's coming back to say to us right now, who are in these last days before the rapture, watch and be ready. Sober up. The end of all things is at hand. Sober up and be watchful in your prayers. Make us a people of God, an army for your glory in these last days. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen.